Hello, and welcome to the Wizards of Drivel podcast. Even a child doesn't stop a Tesla car from having a drive. It's episode number 275. (laughs) 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 It's the midweek Wizards more sensible podcast, the first for me this season. Uh, But it's a full house, a full house to discuss Stoke City 2, Middlesbrough 2. Uh, George, you're here. How are you? I am here. I am good, thank you, Chris. I have had a fun day of um, playing chess with pigeons, and I'm ready to do it even more on the podcast. <laughs> Tony, you are also here. Are you Are you well this day? I am still on the painkillers. Um, speaking of pain, how about them Stoke Cities, eh, lads? Very nice. Dave, mm. uh, I still haven't given you your hat back yet. How mm. are you? I'm well. Uh, George, you don't play chess with pigeons. You play chess with rooks. Oh, wow. oh my God. Right, and this is off. the sensible Oh, one, shit, right. I, uh, <laughs> it took me a while to get that. <laughs> and, and, well, the, fi- the final voice there for this full house, Tom Thrower. Um, how are you doing? Boo! <laughs> Boo! There we go. Done. Ah, very good sensible podcast love it stoke city two middlesbrough two uh a a draw at ours but as you alluded to there tom it was a a booing performance that um michael o'neill commented on legend it's i don't even know where you begin with this one because as rightly put out by um I think it was you on the Wizards account, maybe, Dave, that a last-minute equaliser is something... It's quite cool, isn't it? It's quite good, and it was right Phillips who scored, and so we should be happy. But it wasn't an amazing performance, was it, Dave? Yeah, well, I just was reminded of another young, adorable lad who scored a last uh, or a late header to earn us a point in a game we largely played shite in. And uh, the parallels with Bojan uh, guiding it home at the New York Stadium and the manager having a pop at the uh, actions of the fans are, well, it's just interesting. I think it's pure coincidence, nothing more than that. But it should be such a joyous thing, shouldn't it? DiMaggio Wright Phillips, um, who we've all sort of really sort of hoped would do well and he's been sort of a real sort of... um, thing just he's he's been a nice surprise oftentimes when he's come on but it's like oh demario right phillips even in games where he's not really affected the game and stuff he'd be like oh well this is exciting i'm glad my colonial is playing right phillips and to see him score and um the ensuing sort of granddad banter uh on twitter <laughs> which is quite nice um and yet uh the feeling is one of frustration and like i wasn't at the game i was um checking out Saturday's opponents, more on them later. But it's just the thing I was talking about on the last podcast where it's it's a residual resentment as coming to the fore. Now, I'm not going to claim, especially since I wasn't there, I'm not going to claim like it was a good performance or we deserved anything from the game. But regardless, it does still feel like we're stuck in this kind of stasis, this long-term hangover, uh, which I've written about on wizardsofdrivel.com. Go check that out. Um, but it's 
it's going to be a real, real uphill battle for Michael O'Neill to get the fans back on side from this point because, yes, performance was not good. More than willing to accept that. More than willing to accept his tactical failings. But I can't really see how the atmosphere is going to contribute to us being good. Mm. Mm, It is something of a vicious cycle isn't it in terms of like (laughs) you can't really expect fans to turn around this unless something incredible happens which isn't likely whilst everyone is booing and and being horrible i mean tony it's i can i can understand why fans are very very frustrated and and i'd be remiss to kind of like be be annoyed and to like tell them that everyone's in the wrong, but I don't know. There is there any way is is there any way back for O'Neill in this? It's been a week since we slagged off the Stoke fans. How are we feeling about doing it again? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, I I mean if it doesn't feel like that. What it reminds me of is I remember sitting in this exact chair talking to at least two thirds of these exact people. Um saying exactly the same thing about Nathan Jones and the fans and and how much of a difference the fans could make if we actually just, like, like we've proved it in the past, what a force for good the fans can be when they don't have any expectation when we went up and we had no expectation and the fans made a, a, a colossal material difference to the performance of the team. And we, we're the opposite now. The fans make a bit of a difference to the performance of the team, but bad. But also the argument that it's down to the players to cope with that and also be less bad generally at the football things. And I, I mean, what, we had five of our best players out injured yesterday? Mm. I can't remember. I would say our three best players are out injured. Um, and we're missing both our first choice Fullbacks in a system that relies on, I should say, wingbacks, not fullbacks. I can I can see Tom glazing over as I use the wrong words for things. Um, but yeah, I mean, we. It's not like that's his goal is for us to set up like that and play like that and function like that. We 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 could be better, but whether we get the chance to be better, like lots of things need to come together and and start working properly and. Will he still be there when everybody's fit, or will everybody get just back fit when uh, Rory Delap is managing his son in the uh, bottom three of the championship? I don't know. So, in summary, I don't know, Chris. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Tony. That was that was lovely. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how. You, I, I, I just, I just don't know. I just don't know how you. You fix it. I, I, yeah. Tom, Tom, speak to me. Tell me things. Um, two things. I think. Mm. First thing uh, to throw back to, uh, the, actually, the exact discussion I was having that you mentioned on the last podcast with random bloke stood behind me. Um, <laughs> I, I think for us as a football club, and I think we're arguably at a point of no return with a fan base here of there is no difference anymore between a not winning performance and a booable performance. And I think that is 
scary uh, because that was basically that was basically the message that I sort of discussed with the the nice gent behind me who if he listens to the pod hi um I'd had like 10 pints by then so I hope I didn't say anything offensive um but I basically my, my point was the first half at Huddersfield wasn't great I'm never suggesting that it was great but was it worthy of being booed off the pitch was any of the Huddersfield performance worthy of um, this ch- chanting about the manager getting sacked in the morning, three games into the season, I I'd be hard pressed I, to think so. Do you know what? Really? Do you know what? On 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 that, and I I do think it is. It's less about the performance. Oh no, no. It, it, obviously, the performance is is terrible. But I think we're at a stage now where we are all those people who boo or whatever are waiting. They're waiting for the passes to go awry. They're waiting for this point. In fact, the guy you spoke to, and again, fine. Sure. He's lovely. There was a video that went round that another fan had filmed of before the game, everyone singing, he drinks the Guinness, he drinks the whiskey, he hates the veil. And it was next to where you were, Tom. And I could see where that guy was. And he's there cross-armed and cross. And like, no, I can't lip read, but you can see he's not joining in because he's against that chant in principle. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's got a sore throat. But he looked, the body body language for me looked like he didn't want to sing it, which again, fine. But it just is that thing. I think that people are, are waiting and are just ready to first pass goes all right. Oh, for fuck's sake, here we go again. And it's that collective just expression of just annoyance of several years of of bad stuff. Um, so yeah, I don't think I don't think each game is in isolation. I think it's just people are oh well, we're going to be shit against. I mean, I'm guilty of that. I said we were going to lose against Huddersfield. I thought we were going to be rubbish. Uh, sorry, carry on. You, I interrupt. Yeah, and then, well, no, no, you transitioned nicely into my second point, which is. To, to sort of go back to what Dave said about the parallels between um, Bojan saving us with a header at Rotherham and then sort of the fallout of that game and the the Bolton, I think it was Bolton away game where Rowett sort of goes out with the fans. And I think for me, the difference, and this is my only defence of O'Neill I'm doing today, I don't really want to defend the Middlesbrough performance because people keep telling me I thought it was good. I didn't. The second half was pretty <laughs> atrocious, but... Uh, no, I'm not getting into it. But basically, the things O'Neill said and the difference for me between Rower and O'Neill is what O'Neill said a- after the match yesterday is demonstrably true. Like uh, uh, celebrating a last-minute winner, uh, winner equaliser, and then booing your team off the pitch mm. is demonstrably weird. There's not many other football clubs in the football league who are pulling crap like that at the minute. And again, that is not justifying the performance, but I I thought as a football club, we used to, and we certainly did used to have some appreciation of being able to nick a point when you've played shit. I I think that is, obviously the playing shit bit isn't a good thing, but not losing is something that we have failed quite miserably with recently. So that was good. And then, um, O'Neill sort of made a, a bigger point for me and this is the thing with the fans that has gone almost all the way back to when Hughes first came in and tried to change the way we've played football O'Neill sort of pointed out that both of the goals yesterday came from us playing through the midfield from building from the back and this for me is where the fans have the biggest effect with the very negative atmosphere you've got defenders who 
our defense last night is someone celebrating their 40th birthday. That's just so funny. Um, <laughs> uh, a 21-year-old who has played uh, a season in the Football League and then three games before today. Uh, and then a 22-year-old who, again, whilst has probably got 100 championship appearances under his belt, is still a very young bloke who's sort of finding his career. And shout out to Ben Wilmot for being the only person who sort of backed themselves yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you've got very fragile people who are being asked to do quite a high-pressure job of pass out from the back. And that means encouraging risk, mm-hmm. bringing players out to try and pass around them. And when we actually sort of found the confidence to do that, it did work, like O'Neill pointed out. But it's that jeering from the fans that we almost constantly have. And I think some people were pointing out yesterday that it was like rock and a hard place. Like we'd go long, Dwight Gale wouldn't win a header, people would jeer. We'd go short, it would get kicked out for a throw in by a Stoke player or we'd lose the ball or just something would go wrong and we'd get jeered at for trying to do the other thing. Um, And yeah, to, to round off my point, that all comes back to this idea that people are going to football matches in... Not even anticipation, in like a excitement about Relish. being able to, yeah, yeah, relishing being able to criticise the team, and I, I just don't think it's healthy. And I mean, genuinely, take a break. I have taken a break from home matches. I do not enjoy them anymore because of that atmosphere. Do it; it makes you feel better. Yeah, um, just to expand on uh, Tom's point. God knows I've got plenty of criticisms of O'Neill and not least the continued inclusion of Sam Klukas in the in the midfield, who I think we pretty much would all say is probably our worst player at this point, or certainly one of our biggest liabilities in that regard. But in writing that piece I wrote today, I discovered that the promotion 11, as in the 11 that played against Leicester to get promoted, cost over 6 million quid. Leon Court was a million pound defender. Ryan Shaw crossed a million pound defender. We spent nearly a million on Richard Creswell, uh, half a grand on uh, Glenn Whelan, over a mil on Ricardo Fuller. This team that is currently representing us costs just over three and a half million if you remove San Lucas. Now, so the, whole, the, the Huddersfield team cost over just over three and a half million. And um, if, yeah, it's basically if you take Lucas out the side, the, the average transfer fee for our team is a hell of a lot lower. Wow. And that is, and that is some 14 years since um, promotion or, or however long it is. Uh, considering how much transfer fees have inflated in that time, that is quite remarkable that this team, because we, we didn't really see at the time that that Pulis team was like a really bankroll team. But in hindsight, it really was. So anyway, my point is this team is sort of transfer fee wise. And I know transfer fees aren't a barometer of ability. Transfer fee wise, this is probably the worst Stoke team since at least before that promotion season in 2008. Okay. So the players aren't as good as we've seen in 14 years. Okay. Second thing is the, as has been mentioned time and time again, the age profile of the squad is a hell of a lot younger. As Tom mentioned, we've got uh, an old man at the back shepherding some lads in their 20s who've, uh, Connor Taylor's not played many uh, championship games. Bursic hasn't played all that many championship games. 
and the, the lad who scores the equaliser has barely played any games as well. And how must Wright Phillips have felt at full time? He's just had that moment. He scored that equaliser. He's been booed off the pitch. I don't think, with the possible exception of Sam Klukas, that any one of those Stoke players deserve to be booed off. Now, that is not to say the performance was great, but I don't think, unless you really not put a shift in, unless you're someone potentially like Sam Lucas, who's claiming a big wage and not putting a shift in, then you don't deserve to be booed off, especially when you've drawn and especially when you've, you know, done a good thing late on, especially when you've kind of atoned for your sins in a footballing sense and got that equaliser. So I think it's, it's really galling that the players are going to take the brunt of it. I'm thinking about, remember the Joe Allen cup in his ears to us. That, was I think it put my back up at the time, but that is sort of a it's sort of a sliding scale because we weren't as buoy back then, but we were starting to become more and more sort of impatient and tetchy. But the seeds of this were planted in those Mark Hughes Mark Hughes days. But the difference is in those Mark Hughes days, we had really super talented footballers who perhaps didn't give a shit if you were anxious or groaned when we played out from the back because People thought, you know what, I'm Marco Anatovic, I can do what I like. And then things gradually get more and more wrong. The anxiety levels increase, but the anxiety levels increase and the uh, tetchiness increases as the quality and age of the squad comes down, which I think is unfair. If a Marco Anatovic, Jordan Shakiri team had got booed off for salvaging a late draw at Rochdale, I don't think they'd have sat there and took it. I don't think they'd have I don't think we'd have done it in the first place, first and foremost, because I think we we weren't as bad back then. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm 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 rambling on to my point. But my, my but my point is that this group of players does not deserve the treatment it's getting. Whether O'Neill deserves the treatment he's getting is a slightly different matter. And whether um it's just a symptom of the fans being fed up is I agree. That's probably true, but I'm just feel like this is probably the nicest, most likable, not the most talented, but certainly one of the most spirited group of players we've had in a while. And we're treating them like garbage. Yeah, I want, I I agree with that all completely. I think for me, like you say, this is one of the most honest groups of players I think we've had. Um, I heard it around me yesterday, people saying, oh, it just looks like they don't care. And I really fucking hate hearing that when it's a game like that. I feel like we've got to this point now whereby if we don't play well or if we get a bad result, they don't care. They're not trying hard enough and the manager's shit. Mm. And you look at yesterday's game and the second half particularly was appalling. The first half I don't think was as bad as it seemed actually at first. But the second half was appalling. And the reaction to it is so over the top. I'd, I'd said it on Twitter. It's What it seems like to me is a really childlike, knee-jerk reaction to every fucking game we play at the minute. Whereby, like I say, if we don't win convincingly, and apparently even if we do win convincingly, in hindsight it was actually shit and the opposition aren't good enough and it was just lucky. Mm. I saw someone say today that people around them were disappointed when the right Phillips goal went in. 
because they thought, <sighs> oh, well, there's O'Neill getting a get-out-of-jail-free card, and I just... It's... That sums it up for me. I, d I don't know how anyone can... I was absolutely buzzing when that went in. I think everyone, <laughs> definitely everyone here was. It's well, the happiest yeah, I've been a, for a goal in quite minute, a while. It's a last-minute equaliser. We don't get those. And exactly. This is arguably a little bit facetious of me, but it does arguably transition nicely into the discussion we're supposed to have next about injuries and what we do. Does anybody else feel that the negativity of the fan base is purely down to the reason that O'Neill plays a back five? Like if we were putting out two centre-backs and two nominal full-backs, it wouldn't be so bad. But people I... have decided that a back five, mm. I, I keep saying that because, you know, I, I don't want to get too touchy about formations not really existing anymore or there being about three different formations per phase of the game. Um, I really am quite concerned that because we are playing with one more defender than people think we should be, that this is going to be the reaction unless it changes. There's a it narrative changes. around negativity. I think mm. I think that's basically it. I think the the adopted pos position on O'Neill, given last season, in which he probably was more negative than he started this season, is that he's a negative manager. Now, what I haven't seen, I, again, I didn't see last night's game. What I haven't seen in the first three games was negativity. Yes, he's stuck with this system, and you can argue the ver relative merits of the system, but... I'm not seeing negative football in those first three games. Mm. Mm. No, because neg negative football to me is playing a, a defensive style. The my issue, my issue isn't that we are, um, you know, keeping like I don't know all backs to the wall that type of thing. My 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 issue is that we just seem to be bereft of of consistency and and and. <laughs> ability at passing sometimes but you can spark that all down to <laughs> from what you guys were saying you could you could make an argument that that's all down to confidence if the players feel like they can make that killer pass they are going to try it more if not if they feel oh god they're gonna, <clears throat> i'm going to be booed or oh this isn't going to come off of me they're less likely to 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 make that pass i'm not saying that everything is down to the fans booing because I don't believe it is. I, I, I do believe that there are multiple faults here with O'Neill and even though I like O'Neill and I don't want to see him like, I, I have no ill will towards him and it certainly feels like other fans when they're booing have this real like ill will. Like we, we were reading some Facebook comments and stuff earlier and it was all just get him out of our club this he's d disgusting. It's well, he's not disgusting, is he? He's, he's just a he's he's just he's just an innocent man. Um, <laughs> but like, and and I, I think the team are nice people, and I think he's a nice person. I don't think he's going to see out the season, or at least I don't think he'll be here next season unless some things magically ran change. But I just think that it's I I don't think there's a reversible way to to get us back on track without a change of manager. That's not necessarily because I think that the manager can't fix it, but I just feel like. We're stuck now. We're stuck in an atmosphere that people will not the 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 slope for what is going to be acceptable to fans is getting steeper and steeper. And so, uh, you know, snatching a last minute draw, nah, I'm mad at it. I'm mad at it. It just gets the 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 barrier for satisfaction is getting tougher the longer it goes on, and 
it's, it, it, I just, it must be frustrating for a for a young player to to hear that. Like, but the, but I also think, by the way, that I don't think the board have any intention of moving on from O'Neill. If you watch the interview with uh, new signing Liam Delap, who we will talk about soon, um, or always whenever they get these young players in, always and uh, you, you know you've seen the manager. He, uh, he he's been known for developing some young players. Was that a factor? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is he O'Neill is in. He's bringing young players through. This is what the board wants. Okay, and. I just don't. I think the board are going to be a lot more patient than the fan base are. It's what the fans want as well, and have been saying for years: bring some youth in and bring some youth through into the first team, and and it is happening. But then you have to you have to line that up with maybe not putting quite so much pressure on them from the stands to be Rivaldo after one professional appearance and one training session with the team. Like you mentioned the young players and the confidence to try things. And I, I think it was Tom said, Ben Wilmot was the one who backed himself yesterday. And he, he often is the one who, whether he is or not, he gives that appearance of having confidence in his own ability. And he's also the one who will take a few still, despite all the noise coming from all sides, will take a few steps out of defence and try a little skidded through ball that sometimes is one of our best methods of attack. I think it's like like Chris said, though, that the barrier is so high. I mean, we've been saying for years we want youth in the team. We've got youth in the team. We don't like it. They're inconsistent. We've been saying for years, I, how many fucking times have we said over the years that it would be really nice if when we play shit, we can scrape a result? Mm. And yesterday, we were really shit, and we scraped a result against what looked like a really good side. And yet still, it's not enough. I, what annoys me is I don't I don't know at this point for O'Neill, like you say, what would be good enough? We, other than 46 wins. We're reminding me a little bit of Arsenal. I don't know if you've seen the Arsenal documentary and I know those kind of all or nothing things are a bit formulaic, but Arteta, and this is at a different level to Stoke, yes, yeah, so they've got different levels of talent, I accept that. Arteta was given the opportunity to bring through young players and they had to basically write off one or two seasons where they were just like, right, fine, just bring the talent through, do your own thing, we'll forgo not getting in the Champions League, blah, 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 blah. And I think he maybe encountered a similar thing because I know what Arsenal fans are like. I know kind of how demanding they can be. But if you're going to bring through young players, then that's obviously a long-term project. Why is it Why is it all seeming so short-termist? And again, I don't think like this is the, the sort of defensive O'Neill podcast or whatever but he has brought these young players through. So why not just, if not if not for O'Neill's sake, give them time. Give them time to find themselves, to mature. Now, I'm guilty of that. I was I was very, very critical of Tom Sparrow after the Huddersfield game, and I'll hold my hands up to that. But I, I see it, as, well, we saw it last season with Tyrese Campbell coming back from injury. Young player who'd clearly shown how good he was, but he was getting pelters every game. Um I think of the young players who have sort of come through, I think only Sutar and Taylor, to an extent, have really escaped criticism. Bursic's often criticised. Um, and, like, Timon will often get criticised if he's not put a perfect ball in all the time. And 
it, it's just like you realize these aren't Arnatovich, these aren't Shakiri, these aren't Johnny Walters, these aren't Rory Delap, these aren't Glenn Whelan. When we bought those players who we all loved back in the day, we signed them when they were already either at their peak or just past their peak. Um, you know, we signed experienced players for the Premier League. We are now signing players who have barely played in the championship in some cases. Give them a fucking break. I mean, O'Neill, well, I'm going to, right, this is going to be a defensive O'Neill point, which is going to get me, if any, if anyone's still listening. and um, <laughs> O'Neill himself, and I've made this point before, is O'Neill himself is still an inexperienced manager. He has only managed one English professional league club. He's had one other job, sort of in, like landmark job before this. He had the Northern Ireland job, which is, you know, international football, fairly big deal. But before that, he hadn't managed anyone of note with all respect to those clubs. Um, so he is going to make mistakes. But you've got a mid-table, lower mid-table championship squad that has potential to improve, mm-hmm. that has potential to get better. We're working within our own constraints of we've got no money or financial fair play means we're not allowed to spend our money. I don't get what Sean Dyche coming in would do. I don't get what... Um, I'm trying look, or, or, even, or, or even an exciting foreign appointment. You know, you could say, oh, just do what Barnsley did, get an exciting foreign appointment. But then we, they were ripping up and starting again. We're ripping up and starting again, but we can't rip up and start again because uh, you can take out a, a miserable beam here and relay a sort of negative carpet, but it's still going to be based on a solid bed of shit. I think um, there, there was a there was a bit of a nice poetic irony in some of the people who were quite vocally upset on Twitter last night or whatever social media platform you'd like to lo- use uh, of something along the lines of oh bet bet Delap's ripping up his contract he, he wants to go home now he won't want to come to Stoke what you think you think the the poor performance over ninety minutes or the booing at the end of a draw is going to make Delap more hesitant to play for Stoke because I think I think Liam Delap might be aware that teams have bad games. Remember I'm not how sure we... he's aware of booing to all draws. Sorry, remember how we there was the video when we beat Arsenal once and Joel Campbell was getting abuse from Arsenal fans at Stoke train station saying, get out while you can, Jolie, get out while you can. And remember how we took the piss out of that as being mo- the most kind of pathetic, like entitled, narrow-minded, like childish kind of level of thinking. Well, that that's what we're becoming. I think we're becoming Everton, not Arsenal as well, yeah. by the way. Everton who, and this isn't to criticise Everton fans really, a little bit is, um, were, were getting dissatisfied with Romelu Lukaku scoring 20 goals a season for him up up front uh, with with Ronald Koeman um, not quite getting them into Europe. Um, so they started booing quite regularly when they didn't win games they thought they should have won. Yeah, Frank Lampard's their manager now and they're probably going down. Be nice. Um, it was nice to see that 
it, it all comes back to something Dr. Matt said to us all before about that. Like, was it the Paul Warren video? And that was that that pretty much sums it up, you know. People have just decided that they want to be angry at stuff and so they're gonna get angry at everything. Yeah. Um one one area where um I suppose you could look a little bit at system system issues is our wingbacks. Uh we had the news that Tymon and Clark are injured for a while now, um which begs the question what we do with the not five at the back system. Um we we brought on uh, who played right wing back? It was uh new lad, low name. Fossu. Um he played at right wing back and Thompson played at left wing back yesterday. It's uh, I mean it's not it's not perfect, is it? They're not it's it's not the best setup. Do you think a change in system is likely? No, because who's going to play fullback for us? Morgan Fox. Morgan Fox. Okay. Morgan <laughs> Fox and Bell. Wing- I'd rather have Jordan Thompson and Tarek Fossu as our wing backs than I would Ben Wilmot and um, Morgan Fox as our full backs because, I mean, Ben Wilmot is not a right back. He never will be a right back. He has had to play right back way too much. Please stop making Ben Wilmot be a right back. Uh, and Morgan Fox is Morgan Fox. Um, I'd also. So, be- I, I'm going <laughs> to just quickly lay into the fans again. A lot of clubs <laughs> would sort of pull together around the fact that your best playmakers out, your best centre backs injured, your best wing backs injured, your first choice right wing backs injured. So you've got these plucky bunch of lads trying to you know, throw themselves in after one day of training or teach themselves a brand new position. No, okay, okay, we won't do that either. I suppose, and this is to to play devil's advocate a little bit, um, a frustration is in the fact that we have all these injuries and I suppose not. no one knows why people are injured, but it's kind of that question of well, what are they doing? Why is it that we're stuck with all these bad injuries? We always seem, we've had a few like, bad injuries over the last few seasons like is it is it i have no idea but people can question whether it's to do with like the look how how the players are looked after the conditioning that type of thing i mean i know it happens i know it happens to every team but it's again it's another thing to be angry at isn't it um what the result is annoying that's all because you know what i forget i forget that likes a suitor are still out and um, I don't know. Uh, Powell is forever delayed, and uh, you know what I mean. It's just, uh, I don't know. What's like, most annoying is that they're like, like O'Neill said, they're they're pretty much all impact injuries mm. from in matches. Mm. I don't think we've we've not had anyone you know pulling up in training or anything. So, I don't think it comes from from anything. Dare I say it's not the manager's fault. But I don't think it's for managers. How dare fault. you? How dare you? What a prick! Um, but like all all these players are our first string, and the majority of them have played like a hundred games without a week off. I'm thinking mostly of Josh Tymon, obviously. But the fact this hasn't already happened more than it has is is somewhat surprising because we've just played loads of fucking football without any time off, apart from when there was a plague on 
for a bit mm-hmm. and then they crammed like three seasons into two and now we've started early again and then the World Cup's happening in about six weeks. So it's not entirely shocking that actually we're just knackered with our fairly small squad. What did we have, like eight players going into pre-season or something that were proper first string and then we obviously signed loads. But yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely surprised, but I don't think it would be fair to pin this at the door of our mm. management team or, in fact, the board. I, th- I don't think it's their fault either. It's not a recruitment thing either because I think you'd sort of good recruitment policy if you have all the cash to do it is like two players in every position. So whilst wing-backs are pretty essential in the three-five-two nominal numbers to make a shape system, um, it could have happened in any. So if you were playing a four-four-two, well, three of your four centre-backs could have got injured and then, you know, you're, you're going to struggle a little bit there. Um well, that did happen to us like two yeah. years ago, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, this is it, uh, and and yeah, I, I guess I can understand why people would then look and say, "Well, what are we doing wrong in terms of training and stuff?" But they aren't well, they aren't soft muscle injuries. They're they're weird. getting kicked hard. Getting <laughs> so by horrible footballers. It's always been a thing, though, as well. Like, God, a few seasons back, we had Mark Wilson at centre back for a large proportion of the season, didn't we? Like, it's it's one of those where. Yeah, I, I guess. Okay. And who can forget the fun of? Was it against Chelsea when it was a back three of Peters, Johnson, and Fletcher? By the end of the game, yeah, <laughs> I remember that. That was fun. So no change to the system. The system will remain intact. No, the system will not be toppled. It's going to remain. <laughs> All hail the system! It's going to be. It's going to be wing backs for a while. Um, I suppose one one area where we we are excited um is we've got loads of strikers <laughs> bloody loads of strikers guys wonder if half of them can play wing back because um the feel good signing that is Liam Delap was announced this very day Wednesday the 18th um it's been a long time coming he signs on a 12 month loan from Manchester City much to the annoyance of West Brom fans, which is great. I like it when signings happen out of spite. Um, he was at the game yesterday, but he but it was all all announced today. It's I don't want to be a negative person because it's a really feel good signing. There's the family connection. He clearly knows a bit about the club. There was the feel good story that oh, he's wearing number 17. He, he texts Ryan Shawcross to ask his permission. Oh, it's lovely. It's lovely. But. Oh my gosh, there's a lot of pressure on this lad. <laughs> and did it you really see, worries me. Did you see his eyes though, Chris, in that video? He was, I mean, he was you wild. Can... You could fall into them and never land. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. It's like a, a very, very well polished table. Um, yeah, just just incredible texture. Somewhere, Josh Timon um, is absolutely fuming listening to this. Yeah, <laughs> he's injured. Or at I, least Tony will look after me. I suppose then the, the I suppose the question then is: is, is there is a lot of pressure on Liam Delap? Is this a signing that is going to transform the team? No, but it could transform the fan base. I think. I think Pete Pete Smith said this sort of coyly about that there's gonna be a good reaction to Delap. It's like impossible that there won't be a 
you know, he's going to have a lot of support, basically. And if we can somehow harness that to tackle the atmosphere at Sunderland, that could be good for a, us. A lot of pressure on, on Delap then, really. A lot of pressure on the manager as well. To actually make it yeah. Well, the other <laughs> side of it is if, if we're 2-0 down or 1-0 down, and Delap is not the first substitute who comes on on sixty minutes. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. I, to be fair, I think I think one of the best things about Liam Delap is the fact that we know he's been to a few games over the last few seasons, so we already knows what it's like to be there mm. when it's not going perfectly well. So, like, he won't be surprised by that booing. <laughs> I, or, I, or, he, or was he, it the opposite? Or did he go to Stoke games when? Every, he was his, dad was, his, his dad was playing and it, everyone was going whoosh and, they, <laughs> and we were all like <laughs> do you think he's going to restrict himself to the exact central third of the of the the pitch so he doesn't ever take a throw in <laughs> like not even a quick one because the minute he picks that ball up everybody's going to go fucking mental he'll, he'll sort of go oof no, what's going to fall on his feet, Charlie Adam style? What's going to happen is he's going to take penalties, but he's going to get a towel out to wipe the ball down before he takes <laughs> oh. a penalty. Classy touch. Oh man! Well, I mean, next up is Sunderland. Uh, Dave, you say that you were researching them uh, yes. yesterday. So, uh, what can we expect in the next home game? Um, I went to Bramall Lane last night to uh, check out our uh, opponents uh, on Saturday. Uh, so I went with a Sheffield United sporting friend of mine and a Sunderland sporting friend of mine, and we, it was it was a very nice conversation because we had um, sort of a red and white striped misery conversation beforehand, where we all sort of agreed that everything was a bit shit at every club, and uh, you know uh, Sunderland just come up, Sheffield United went down couple of seasons ago and we've been in this kind of stasis and uh, we're all a bit kind of jaded um unfortunately i do have to declare that sunderland did seem rather good mm. um they do have some very nice attacking players and it was a very even game between them and the blades up until around half hour mark where one of their young lads puts in a stupid uh, dogzo foul, gets sent off. But what was really, really sort of maybe alarming from our point of view was how well they played with 10 men. So they concede in the sort of seconds after going down to 10 men and they concede seconds after coming out for the second half. Um, Danny Barr did a job, but I think we, we know that Danny Barr can be got at. And this might be an occasion for Brown, Wright Phillips, Delap, Campbell... Mm-hmm. You know, we know Danny Bart's weakness is uh, is speed. So let's, you know, see if we can exploit that however we can. Um, but what they did really well, they didn't create a whole lot of chances at 10 men. Of course, you wouldn't expect them to. 2-0 down away from home. Neil, Alex Neil made what appeared to be quite negative changes. He took off a striker and a winger, brought on some centre-backs and hold him mid. Um, but that actually really worked for them because they really, really frustrated Sheffield United and restricted them to not that many chances considering the man advantage and considering Sheffield United have some quite decent players as well. Um, they brought on Jay Matete, who was fantastic, a really, really tenacious midfielder. And the goal they score from, Matete 
Sly tackles Sand, Sander Burge in uh, midfield and plays it forward. And it's uh, Lyndon Gooch who uh, plays a beautiful finish uh, for Sunderland's, what well, turns out to be consolation goal. Lyndon Gooch was a bit on and off. He's quite, he's almost like a Stoke wing back, not just timing, obviously, but like quite a, like a Stoke wing back in that his, you know, he'll beat a man and his cross will be crap or that, or his cross will be really good, but there'll be no one there. He's quite inconsistent wing back. Um, but they seem to be a quite spirited together bunch of lads, not too dissimilar from ours. I would say, and that having seen them last season get trounced three 0 by Sheffield Wednesday in the league, they got quite tidy young footballers who seemed a bit petrified. And I know from speaking to Sunderland fans that their fan experience, for very similar reasons to ours, has been quite similar as well. Obviously, they've had the descent into the third tier that we haven't had, but they have had a similar thing with with flooding in new managers, uh, atmosphere being really sour, um, young players coming in, but like getting a bit overawed by it um, and kind of having a similar atmospheric similarity to Stoke. Um, on the pitch, I think um, we're, we're going to be in for a tough game. I think they're beatable. Um, I think both sides' strength strengths lie in their options up front. I think we've got good options up front. I think they've got good options up front. Um, they've got some match winners, um, Roberts and Pritchard being two off the top of my head. Ellis Sims, quite a handy forward as well. Um, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting game. If we win this, I'll take this as a real, real marker for us and I'll be really, really encouraged by it. Go on, Tom. Yeah, now, this isn't um, Sunderland-related, but was, was Anel ahead Hamed Odsvich yes. as good as football nerd Twitter said he was? He is is he the Sheffield United centre-back who scored the first goal? Nominal centre-back. Yeah, that's the new term for him, nominal centre-back, because he doesn't really play at centre-back. Uh, difficult to say because he played an hour of the game against not that much in terms of an attacking threat um, from Sunderland. Uh, yeah, I think he won man of the match. So, yeah, fair play. Scored, But it's one of those at the ground man of the matches where, you know, he scored a goal yeah. and is a defender. So, yeah, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he seems like quite a good addition for them. What I would say, speaking of kind of Sheffield United signings, I everyone was like raving about Sander Burge or Sander Berg or Burge. I don't know how you say it. He's, I didn't think he was very good at all. I mm-hmm. thought he was a complete lump in midfield, but there you go. I remember thinking he was good last season when I watched him, but I can't remember exactly why. I just remember thinking he was good. And I think we said in the big group chat and I remember people going, yeah, he's really good. I think he's good. It was probably you then. Sunderland <laughs> have Jack Clark still, don't they? Does, yes, does he, yeah. he plays as a wing back for Yes, them, and and to be fair to him, saw very little of him going forward. As you know, he was he was in the lockdown season for us, wasn't he? So we've seen kind of little of him as well. Um, but he was really astute defensively. I think he tracked his man very very well. So that was quite surprising. But fair play to him. What <laughs> another oh. mistake from Mon letting him go. <laughs> <laughs> what would you What would you go with then on? the weekend what team would you make many changes to what we've got would you what would you what would you do george what would you do tell me uh, uh, Clocus would never start a game ever again 
Okay. If I were in charge. Other than that, it's quite tough. I, I thought Kilkenny did okay. Oh, yeah, maybe against Swansea. Yeah, fair enough. I thought Kilkenny did okay when he came on, so probably him. It's really tough. The only other person I'd think I would drop is Jagielka, but then you look at, oh, well, I'll drop Jagielka and instead I'll bring in, oh, Flint <laughs> or Fox. Oh, come back, Harry yeah. Suter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you remember when we signed Aidan Flint and the big deal was the fact that he scored like 30 goals in two seasons or something ridiculous? We basically signed him as a backup striker or something. Because he's not... I mean, you, you described what a nominal centre-back is, Tom. <laughs> I know we've probably had a few of those over the years, but bloody hell. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Would you make any changes up front or would it be a bit unfair to, to drop Gale and Brown? I mean, they did come together for the for the first goal. Gale has been extremely unlucky with the number of off goals that have been ruled for offside. <laughs> I think Brown is the first name on the team sheet for me. Absolutely. Um, 100% agree. Uh, whether he plays with Campbell, Gale, or even Wright Phillips or Delap, you know, um, I don't really know. I think possibly based on, you know, the Danny Bartlack of pace, then I'd be inclined to possibly drop Gale for Campbell, but it's not that's not really a comment on Gale's performance so much as thinking about where Sunderland can be beaten. Mm-hmm. I'd on the start to lap. For the for the vibes. For, for the vibes. For the running in behind. Fearless. For... He's gonna be fearless for that first yeah. game, isn't he? And like, I mean as much reduce the amount of time he spends with not Pep Guardiola as his manager, like make that as short as possible before he starts playing for us. So like I'm working on the theory that um, like the further he gets away from Guardiola, the worse as a footballer he's going to get. So now is the closest he will ever be to Guardiola. So play him constantly until he can't run anymore. Um, Predictions. Then for the game, do we? Uh, do we? It could go either way, couldn't it? Here, uh, I'm. I, I don't feel confident, Tony. I feel like you've got a prediction. Are we at home? We are. <laughs> we're, we're not. We're not yonder. We're not yonder. We're uh, we're at home. Probably nil one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, George, any ideas? What are you thinking? How are you feeling? Uh, yeah. I'm gonna go two 0 win. I want to be happy. Nice. Good for you, Tom. So me and George did one of these serious midweek previews before we beat Blackpool uh, and we forgot to do one before Huddersfield slash none of us could be bothered. So we're going to... Oh, was it me and Dave? No, me and George did after the Blackpool game. I think it was me and Dave. We're going to win 3-0 because of the pod. Oh, because of the pod. Dave, do you Four, think... 4-2. Because... That would be an exciting game. To us, or to them, to Stoke City. Did you mean to say four four two? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever mm. happens, hopefully it will be a cause for joy. So, um, sorry, Chris. One point of order before we go. Oh, that. Yeah, I think go we on. probably just should mention um, that. I think if you listen to this, you'll you'll follow Duck Magazine anyway. But they, ha- um, I'd say they, Bunny and Orphy, um have kind of. Uh, announced that this is going to be the final season of Duck Magazine. Um, 
running, certainly in its printed format anyway. And uh, Bunny's explained quite um, emphatically and really quite uh, quite tragically the reasons why. And um, we w- wish him all the best, obviously. Um, but uh, Duck Magazine's like, that's been running, God, 10 years now? Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly a very, very long time. And I know that certainly quite a few of us who contributed to the pod have written stuff for Duck Magazine or been a contributor in some form or another. And certainly that was one of the things that made me get into football writing in the in the first place. And I owe Duck a lot for just letting me spout a load of drivel uh, on Stoke in the first place. Um, and it's, 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 it's a really sad day that that's not going to continue. But uh, I just think, in a moment of rare sincerity from the Wizards of Dribble podcast that just uh, a, a massive uh, nod, uh, a doff of the cap and a, and a thank you to Bunny and Orphy who've been who've been great when they've uh, contributed to this podcast as well. So, uh, yeah, really sad to see it go, but all the best to those two. Yeah, no, well, 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 yeah, well said. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yes. Um, so I, 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 they're still, it's for this season. They'll still be around at games. Mm-hmm. Please, please do support them when you can. Let's make sure that this send off is decent. Uh, but yeah, no any any other business from anyone else? Uh, I one thing is that everyone should listen to Dave's away podcast chats that he's having with other podcasts previewing us mm. playing them because the, the couple that I've listened to this season have been really good like I've, I've listened to them sometimes and it's like a, a 15 second recorded segment in the middle of a long pod about Tottenham or whatever that you don't care about but, but these <laughs> these have just been nice sit downs with Dave talking about stuff and it's really interesting yeah I'm on um what the folk a f-a-l-k uh, Sunderland podcast that's already out, and I'm going to be on the next Roker Report podcast. So, oh, nice. uh, if you want a Sunderland slash two Stoke, Sunderlands, two Sunderlands because they've oh, got like ten podcasts. They've got basically as many as we have now. Um, <laughs> 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 but there's only one real one, isn't there? Why? 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 Yeah. Oh, excellent! Right. Uh, yes. We will be back after the Sunderland game, hopefully in good moods. Well, you never know. Hopefully so. Fingers crossed. Um, right. Dave, have yourselves a nice rest of the week. Here Thank we you are. for joining me. Tom, enjoy yourself. Joe Allen still hasn't won a game for Swansea. <laughs> Tony, you stay safe. I was going to say stay safe. I had that built up ready to say it and say you've it. done it. You can I'd say it still. Stay safe. Thanks. George, never fade away. Just, <laughs> just keep on being you. Stay safe. Oh fuck! <laughs> Thanks, Chris. What, what's Bye. French for stay safe? <laughs> Let's stay safe. Stay safe. Safe. Right. We will see you next time. Thank you very much for listening. You guys out there in the ether, you stay safe. Uh, and as always, go on, Stoke. Etre prudent, by the way. <laughs> 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 <laughs>